Um, we are in the book of Acts. Um, so I'm continuing with Pastor, what Pastor has been um, you know, preaching, uh, the same series. Uh, so right now we are at Acts chapter 11 uh, in the series Book of Acts Part 2, uh, which uh, focuses on the persecution of early church. Um, today we're going to cover from verse 19 to 26 of chapter 11. 11. Acts chapter 11, um, 19 to, 20, uh, to 26. Now those who were scattered because of persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there are some of them, men of Cyprus and Cerne, who on coming to Antioch spoke to Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of people turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of the Lord. So, uh, to give you a little bit of recap of uh, what was happening uh, you know, in context to this uh, passage. Uh, so some people in you know, Jerusalem, uh, when they heard the good news of Jesus Christ, they started following Christ. And uh, because of that, there was a great persecution. And this is the time when Stephen was stoned to death uh, for being a Christian, you know, to being a disciple of Christ. And uh, some of the people from Jerusalem, uh, the, the believers, they decided to move to Antioch. You know, there was persecution was great. So they took their wives, children, their you know, belongings, um, and decided to go to this place called as Antioch. And so when they moved there, uh, you know, they were true Christians, so they could not keep their mouth shut. So they kept on talking about Jesus to all the people around them. They were pre, you know, talking to the Jews and to the Greeks. Um, so it, it, that smaller group of people who started sharing about Christ um, started growing day by day, and it got to a point it was a full-blown revival happening there. And people were, you know, accepting Christ and, you know, they're being added and, you know, they're getting baptized and God was moving. And the word got out and the, the church leaders in Jerusalem heard it. Now they're like, what is happening? We want to make sure this is true. We want to make sure it's not like a whole different cult group, you know, based off of Jesus or they have wrong teachings, or, you know, so the church leaders were concerned. So they were like, okay, you know what? We need to check this out. 
And they pick a person, his name was Barnabas. And funny, the name Barnabas stands, uh, it means encourager. So they decided to send them up. And he goes find Paul, who is also known as Saul, and to come help out. And, and the, our passage concludes with Luke saying, noting that the followers of Christ were called Christians. It's funny because the word Christian didn't exist until that time. And it is not a name that the church chose for themselves. It's not like we'll be like, hey, you know what? We need to come up with a very cool name for ourselves. You know, we are followers of Christ. You know, we need something catchy. It wasn't that. And back then, the situation was very different, right? Every ethnic group or any, any, any group of people had their own religion and own gods. So, for example, Roman people follow Roman gods. The Greek people have Greek gods. So it's easier to identify someone, say, he is Roman or he is Greek or so on, because they grew, belonged, and served a specific God. But now, you're looking at a whole new group of people, which, is belong, which they has Jews and Greeks and, you know, other people involved. And people are like, wait a second, I cannot call him really Jew, because, you know, and then this guy's Greek, and they both are doing the same thing. Like, you know, what do we call them? Right? So the people around them, named the disciples of Christ Christians, which means like Christ or little Christ. So that's how the name Christian came in. You know, when growing up, uh, when I learned this passage, one of the questions that raised to me was, how do I identify myself? Do I have to market myself as a Christian or people see me and say he is a Christian? See, the word Christian has lost its meaning over the period of time. It has lost its significance. Back then, if you would have asked somebody, hey, what it means to be Christian, they would have given a good testimony or a good witnessing, uh, a good witness to who Christians were. Because they took the teaching of Jesus and they lived their life out. So when you, you look at them, you know this person is very different based on their behavior that they were Christian. But today, I think we have lost the significance because... I read this funny meme one day. It's like, when you name your children, you know, don't just focus on biblical names because I was just robbed by a Moses. So it's just not giving the biblical names. It's also giving them the biblical value. Imagine, you know, you're getting robbed by a person named Jesus, right? So the point I'm trying to make here is the... The Christians is not, so today we have so many Christians, especially in the West. We have people with the name John, you know, we have people with, you know, all Thomas and all these common names, but they haven't seen the inside of a church. 
they comes under the category of a Christian. If they travel the world to the other side, they will be known as a Christian because of their name or because they where they come from. But the reality is, are they really living as a Christian? See, it, see, uh, Dr. David Fuller, he once asked, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? It's a great thing, a question to ponder. If you're arrested today because you're a Christian, do you have enough evidence against you? So being a Christian is following what the Christ have laid out. He is the perfect example how we living out our life. And this is all happening when the persecution was very prevalent, they had a choice to give up what they believe in or if found out that they are Christians, suffer for it. And they truly understood the meaning of Christian and instead of creating their own secret club and not letting anybody else know about Christ, they could have worshipped God in secret. Instead, they couldn't contain it. So what they did is they kept on preaching about Christ. Dear brother, you have a problem. I know it. I was there once. Let me help you. Let me point you to Christ. And that's how the revival broke out. That is how. So these people were kept on preaching gospel in spite of whatever their situation were. See, baptism is coming up. It is one of the ordinances Christ has given us in which you proclaim publicly your faith. So if you have put your faith in Christ and you have decided to serve him, it's a commandment to proclaim that faith publicly. And that is what baptism is for. Right, So the, in the early church, they were preaching and people who were convicted, they gave their life and they got baptized. So, you know, in corporate world, uh, you know, sometimes... Uh, the language some of the people use is very unholy, right? So I was in a very, you know, start of a company and, you know, people don't realize the words they were using and I was very uncomfortable. But in some time, people understood without me telling them that it's not okay to use that word in front of me. When they were doing performance reviews, he's like, hey, what can we do better? I said, you know what? You need to stop using this word here. <laughs> and the CEO thought for a second, then he went, went and bought a swear jar and said, you know what? We'll try. We'll try our best. The point is, I don't have to go tell and advertise, 
But people will know if you behave differently than how the world behaves. And that's what it meant to be a Christian. Today, if we have to look into ourselves, you know, does our actions speak that we are Christians? Does our bank account, how we are utilizing what God has given, does that speak that we are Christian? Does our private chats and our text messages, are you comfortable showing it to anybody? The certain things you talked about somebody, would it be okay if somebody else finds that out? So when you say living out like Christ, what does that mean? It simply means when certain practical questions like this is asked, you should be like, I'm okay. Here's my chat. Here's the text messages. Here's my bank account. All it screams is that I, in my imperfection, will serve Christ. See, I'm not asking these questions to make you feel guilty or anything. It's important questions to ask ourselves. Because sometimes it's easy to go through that, you know, motion of being a Christian and thinking that we are Christian and we are better than others and we slowly fading away into the worldly things. You know, in this passage, one thing that really stood out to me was the, you won't see the name of the people who went and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people. Their outreach efforts in Antioch would have a ripple effects for years to come. Even after they were gone, the gospel of Jesus Christ spread. They were just faithful to Jesus. They were just faithful to their Savior. They had no plan. They had no budget. They had no programs. They weren't doing, you know, big evangelical crusades. They just had the zeal for the Lord. In this day of celebrating Christianity, you know, we desperately need to look into these men's life and rediscover what it means to be a Christian. These unsung heroes set the model for us to follow. See, the most important people in the church are not popular people. Do not get confused with popularity, with significance. You don't have to be popular to be significant. I'm not. So you will see some churches bringing this, you know, the sports person of, you know, very famous sports person, bringing them in to do their testimonies and I'm not against it. It's a great thing. But let's not look at it as that is the only thing that creates impact. Well, they talk to the masses in general. They appeal to the masses in general. 
Sometimes your brokenness and what you went through might be much more significant to somebody else in your life who is going through the same struggle. Sometimes, let me rephrase that, sometimes you can make a significant impact on a non-believer's life who is watching your life more than all this celebrated Christianity that we talk about. So this is why, you know, Book of Acts is all about, Pastor Jeff has been preaching on the whole series and it's all about sharing about Christ, sharing about Christ. And this happened because they did not get quiet. They understood the significance of doing, standing out as a Christian as an example and living out their life. And when others saw that light, their life is different, they got the message. So verse 23 and 24, let me read that again. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And he was a good man, full of Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. I want you, you know, for that verse to sink in. There's so much to unpack here. But I would like to focus on one aspect in this. So when we talk about Barnabas, right? He was a good man, full of Holy Spirit and of faith. So when the church picked out a man to send, they picked the best guy. Because he was a, there out of all the qualities, he picked out a man who was going to exhort. He wasn't the preacher like Saul. He wasn't like, you know, uh, the most popular guy, right? They picked out a man who had the ability to go exhort the church in Antioch. So Tim Keller spoke on this passage once, and this is what he said. Whenever you see translation differing on how to render an English word, it's because the Greek word has a lexical range that's too rich, broad, and multidimensional to be conveyed by a single English word. When you first find something like that, you know that this is a word that needs to be pondered. If there's no one English word that can get it across. I, I, I sometimes struggle with that. By the grace of God, I speak five languages. And sometimes, what I want to say in one language, if I have to translate it, it, you cannot put it into certain words in another language enough to bring out the intensity of that word. It's like word love. In English, we only have the word love. But in Greek, we have, I think, more than three. Which specifically says what that love relates to or corresponds to. In the similar way, the word exhortation, right? 
So there's two parts to it. Cleo means to call. Point people towards a goal or truth. To call out. It's a very strong word. And then the word para, which means come alongside, like paramedic, paralegal. It is sympathetic to support you, to help you. Now you will see a little bit of tension between two parts of this word, paracleo. So that is why though the word is used uh, exhortation, I'm going to say encouragement and exhortation. Because the, the word encouragement leans towards it, it, it gives a whole different flavor than the word exhortation. So I, I, I want to I break it down. So to summarize, the word encouragement is to affirm something, right? If you know, you're good at singing, great. You know, you're so good. You know, you give that encouragement, right? Which is more of a gesture of love. Versus exhortation, it's more towards the attribute of truth. So when I'm exhorting someone who is, who is not doing the right thing, you might want to point that person to the right direction. So you speak truth into that person. You're not encouraging them, but you're telling them to take a little bit of turn here. So... So the root word parakleo is a mixture of both. It's a mixture of truth and love. And the church picks a man who has the best talent of exhortation, who is really good at bringing out the love and the truth. So why am I going from talking about living like Christ and being a Christian, and showing that to exhortation. Whenever Pastor Jeff preaches, he repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly brought the theme of we are not meant to walk alone. And what does that mean? Now we are looking at a church, it's a brand new church in Antioch, which they just heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They decided to commit to Jesus, they have not a lot of guidance. There is millions of ways uh, they can go you know, wrong. There is millions of ways they can take a wrong turn. And the church in Jerusalem is sending a man who is going to encourage them and exhort them. Because the church needs that. Until today, any church will need that exhortation and that encouragement. Because I have received both in my life. And I understand the value of uh, receiving it. So Barnabas was called into this paraclytic ministry uh, where he is using the truth and love to basically turbocharge the church, right? 
So, you know, I, I want to quote Tim Keller here. Uh, he said, Christians cannot grow in, into the people we are designed to be except in this kind of soil. And the soil I'm referring to is, you know, the exhortation and uh, encouragement, the truth and the love. Again, Christians cannot grow into the people we are designed to be except in this kind of soil. And I have seen that repeatedly in my life. I had opportunity, opportunity in my life to encourage some people when they were so fearful in bringing out their ministry and talents. God gave me the opportunity to do that. Looking back, if that encouragement wasn't done, probably they would have been submitted to their fear and stayed there for the rest of their life. And there are instances wherein I had to go tell people, hey, I don't think you're looking at this the right way. And speak truth into their life. See, the reason why we need this is because we are humans and in our nature, we only process data based on our experiences or what we know. Sometimes we do not take things in a different... So we perceive things based on what we understand. Sometimes it takes another person to give you another perspective. There are many instances in my life wherein I'm so admin about certain things and somebody gave me a new perspective. And I'm like, I never looked at it that way. So that is why in this Christian walk of our life, that is why it's very important that we speak in love and in truth to each other that we may add value in terms of looking things differently with our life situations. Because of sins, sometimes we are blind to our, uh, blind because of our selfishness. Sometimes you're blinded by our passion. Sometimes you're blinded by our desires. And sometimes it takes another person to speak that truth into our life, to give us that new perspective, to see the way, the things we need to see. There are certain sometimes we are so, all the actions we self-justify. We think it is right. And why, why does that, and because of that, we don't, even if scripture says it's wrong, we tend to stick to our own self-righteousness. So, so the reason why I'm talking about these two is, if you only say, in today's culture, it's all about affirmation, right? It's all about, go, chase your dreams, you can do this. You think of it, you dream it, you can do this, and so on. We push the people Say so you can achieve it, and we just, it's all about that affirmation. Now, some other cultures and some people group, it's the, the opposite end, right? It's about the truth, like, hey, you know what? You need to take care of your family. You need to do this. You're accountable for this. And if you don't do this, you're looked down upon. 
So, you know, sometimes I've seen some young people, you know, who don't have the talent of singing, singing in public. And then you really listening to it and you're like, gosh, I wish the kid had a little bit of talent. Now, how did we get to that point? Because somebody kept on encouraging, oh, you can chase your dream, you can do this, you can do that. And the kid is passionate about singing and goes and doing it. Nobody is speaking the truth into that kid's life. He's like, hey, probably you're not good at this. One day, we picked Timmy to do one of the solos for the, with the kids singing. And I heard my son sing and I said, oh, please, no. Now, you may think like, wait, it's insulting. It's, it's not caring. It's been, I've been insensitive. Well, as a father, my job is, if that's not his talent, identify his talent and direct him in that way. Because he will be used for God in that area where God has placed him to be. Then pushing him in a direction that he has no talent in. I think he will be a great songwriter. He may not be able to sing. But that kid can go sit in the piano and pretend to be singing. And the words that he uses, I am like, is that a five-year-old singing? He had a good knack of putting words together. It took me 15 years to realize that I didn't have talent in music. I've told that before, right? 15 years, I was so passionate about learning music, keyboard, guitar. I tried everything. And one day I gave it up and I picked up sound. And that was coming very easy to me. And God has used me in that place, being a blessing. Point I'm trying to make with this is, it's not all about encouragement. Sometimes you have to take a pause and you have to exhort and speak the truth because the truth may guide that person to where the God wants them to be. Oh, my parents did this to me. I'm never going to talk to them again. You can affirm and encourage them and saying, yeah, you know what? They were so wrong. Or you can tell them what Bible tells them. Look at your parents with compassion. Do they know Jesus? If they didn't, what they did is because of what they knew. They didn't know Jesus. They behaved the way they knew best. As a child of Christ, are you going to change that perspective and go to them and be a difference, be that Christian? So we tend to take everything to the both the extremes, right? We need to have that balanced approach. That is where the paracleo word comes in. It is a perfect mix of love and truth, a perfect mix of exhortation and encouragement. And where am I going with this? (laughs) 
when you sit down to eat, we give you, okay, here's your meat, eat this. Okay, here's your potatoes, eat this. Here's your peas, eat this. Okay, now here's the salt. How do you think the food is going to taste? But if you season the whole food with the salt, I think it's going to be a lot better. And that is the importance of exhortation in our Christian walk. We need it. It is the seasoning that will help us in this walk together. So when somebody is not blinded by their own passion or desires, there is somebody with a new perspective to provide the support and understanding. Before Jesus was getting ready to die on the cross, the day and night before, he gets together his disciples. You'll find it in, you know, from John chapter 13 to 16. And the story starts like this. It's the night before he's going to die. He spent three years of his life teaching them and trying to get them ready for the work of his life. His, the gospel. Jesus says in John 13, I am about to leave, and where I am going, you cannot come. The disciples are so clueless. After months of being taught about death and all this, you know what the Peter says? What do you mean you're going somewhere? Can't I go with you? He's asking that question. You know what? I'll go to any extent with you. I'm ready to even die for you. You know, the way I look at it is the saddest part for Jesus would be, you know, hearing people, you know, the, the after preparations of months of preparations of, you know, him going to the cross, seeing a reaction like this from their disciples, right? Did all his teaching meant nothing? You know, Jesus says, have you been, have you been with me so long and still you do not know me? That's the saddest thing to say. Wait a second. I invested three years of my life teaching you, preparing you, and wait a second. Sounds like you don't even know me. But instead of, you know, being the Christ, instead of, you know, saying, you know, how could you do this? And, you know, yelling at them and saying, you need to take responsibility and accountability. His approach was very different. He didn't say the affirmation side, oh, you know what, everything is going to be cool. You just do follow your heart. No. His encouragement, Jesus said this. He didn't rebuke them, nor he just accepted what they said or, you know, just misguide them. What he said was, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the Bible translations, um, the, the root word, I believe, is 
it's a form of uh, paracletio that we were talking about earlier. It's the another paraclete, which means another advocate, the other counselor, the other encourager, exhorter. Jesus, instead of rebuking them, telling them, I'll go away, but you're going to receive Holy Spirit. The other counselor, the other advocate. So that the question comes to me is, if he's the other one, who is the first one? If there is an other Counselor, who is the first one? If there is another advocate, who is the first one? First John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But in if, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is our first advocate. If you believe in him, know that he is beside you. The difference is, he is in front of the Father. Constantly advocating for you. When the world points the finger and says he is a sinner, he messed up, he goes to the Father and is like, he believes in me. I paid the price. I paid the price for him. The first red great gate is in front of the judge, pleading our case, pleading our defense. And the difference is he himself took the blame. He himself took the sin. And the helper, Holy Spirit, is with us. And he's constantly encouraging us and constantly showing you, hey, don't worry. Look at the first advocate. He is in front of the judgment seat pleading your case. So, I would like to summarize. In order to live a victorious Christian life, that people around will look at and say, he is a Christian or she is a Christian, is when we walk together in unity as a church. And in order for to walk in unity and do the right thing, we need each other to help each other in terms of, exhortation and encouragement and when we are down and when you do not know how to encourage somebody else that's where we have the Holy Spirit in us who is going to encourage us and point you to the first advocate who was he was righteous there was no sin in him the wages of sin is death 
But he decided to be that sacrifice to give us that eternal life. So in this walk, I pray that we will look unto Jesus with the help of Holy Spirit, encouraging one another, holding hands together, and let's walk to our destination. And when we are going towards that destination, pick the broken, the, the wounded, and all the people around us who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't know that destination, help them. Let's carry them one by one towards that goal. That is what God has called us to be. And that is what a real church is.